The Athletic. Lauren Hill. So difficult to stop. Oh! Also, hold it in the Sahara. Also, Kanten da. Fahren in the Sahara. Miedema. Miedema van de Donkers mee. Miedema. Goal, 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 goal. Teodoro. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros Edition. Coming up, Germany pop Denmark's bubble, a shock first minute finish and pitch please. It's Lindsay Hooper here and joining me for this Euros pod is Scandinavian journalist Mia Eriksson and the Athletics' Jay Harris. Hello to you both. Great to see you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, hello to you too and thank you for having me too. Jay and I have just got back from the Germany-Denmark game. We didn't bump into each other, though I did bump into girls on the ball on the way out. Just a small, small stadium, but 15,000 packed it. So it really shocked me that I managed to bump into anybody. Mia, you were watching this one from home in Sweden. I was actually alongside uh, the senior producer, Nia Wynne Thomas, of WSL's coverage on Sky Sports, and caught up with her on the final whistle. This is what we had to say. Stadium. Germany comprehensively beating Denmark by four goals to nil. Sat alongside me, senior producer for WSL coverage on Sky Sports, near Wynn Thomas. Let's get your verdict. I've got to say, hats off to Denmark's fans who did not stop singing, clapping, and the atmosphere here this evening, I've got to say, I thought was and I know a lot of people won't be happy with it but I did think that the atmosphere here this evening felt like a football audience felt like football fans compared to Wednesday and that's, you know, it's great we had, I think, 16,000 here this evening but yeah, great game great, great advert you know, to me it feels like the tournament is alive and that's where we'll leave it because I've got to now rush to go and actually record the show but Um, In the corner there, by the corner flag, all the Denmark players, playing staff, manager, applauding these fans around us. What an atmosphere they've created. Well done, Denmark. You might have been on the losing side, but wow, you've created some vibes in here tonight. Jay, it was a smaller crowd than the opening game at Old Trafford, clearly, but... Nia's point there was that she felt that it felt like a real football crowd. Would Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I remember on my um, way to the stadium, I suddenly realised that it was actually the first game I've ever been to at a major international tournament. So I was really, really excited. I took my girlfriend and she's never actually been to a football game before. And um, so, yeah, brimming with excitement. And the thing that kind of stood out for me the most when I was walking around the concourse and when I took um, my seat in the stands is just how many Germany fans that were there. I knew there were going to be a lot of Denmark fans because Brentford's got this special connection with Denmark. So that was going to be inevitable. And there were just so many kids, so many young girls. Looked like there were lots of brownies, guides, scouts groups and things like that. So it was really pleasing to see. And yeah, like you said, every time Germany scored, (laughs) sorry me, I had to bring it up. Every time Germany scored, the crowd just went crazy. You know, the music was blaring, people were jumping, Mexican waves. That's exactly what you want from an international tournament. You know, people really enjoying themselves, having a good time and something that's going to uh, live along in the memory. See, you're saying sorry, Mia, there, because Mia's Scandinavian. But I've got to get to the bottom of this. Does that mean that you want all Scandinavian teams to do well, Mia? Or is there any rivalry there when you're watching Denmark versus Sweden? 
only when they play each other. I mean, you know, when when I watch Scandi teams play uh, against other European teams, I'm always Scandi in my heart. <laughs> I mean, I felt <laughs> it was like a knife every time Germany scored. But <laughs> good football game, though. And uh, yeah, but I, I really feel for the Danes tonight. Oh, well, we're not going to make you suffer too long. I promise, Mia, when we Thank recount you. this. Thank you. We will go, we'll go more detail in just a moment. We have had breaking news throughout the day as well from other teams. I'd just like to summarise that first. So a quick update from an England perspective. Lotta Wuben moy has tested positive for COVID. She's gone home. She hopes to be back joining the camp again soon. What impact do we think that will have, losing a defender, Jay? It's certainly not convenient at any major international tournament. You need to be able to call on every single player that's available to you. I know Ruben Moy didn't didn't play against Austria on Wednesday evening, but she's you know still a really important member of the squad. Can imagine that she would have been getting a run out in one of the other group games to just make sure everybody's prepared. So it's frustrating, but you can't imagine with the way COVID regulations work these days that it wouldn't be as dramatic as, say, a year ago when mm-hmm. she probably would have been ruled out of the rest of the tournament. So hopefully within a few days, she'll be back in the team. I really hope as well with my next news that we don't start having numbers and numbers of knee injuries this tournament because already they're starting to stack up. So Simone McGill is also out of the tournament for Northern Ireland. We saw her go off in that game against Norway with that injury. So another knee injury that adds to the list because, of course, Spain without Alexia Pateas, um, and we'll find out as well how they got on against Finland without her in the squad. She was forced to watch from the stands. So that all to come. Happy Louts ball in, free head. And that's where we'll begin with the Spain match because it was the one that kicked off first today. Spain 4, Finland 1. So after a surprise goal in the first minute from Finland's Linda Sailström, Spain took back control for a 4-1 win at Stadium MK in Milton Keynes. Uh, Spain's goals came from three headers, courtesy of captain Irene Paredes, um, Aitana Bonmati and Lucia Garcia, plus a Mariona Caldenti penalty right at the end. Before we dive into this one, producer Sophie caught up with Spanish journalist Bea Redondo right after the match to get her take. Bea Redondo, thank you so much for joining us on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. We've literally just seen Spain beat Finland 4-1. What an exciting game. 4-1. I mean, Spain don't need Pateas, do they? Well, I mean, they don't, but she was still around. And and I don't know what you've seen on screen, but we were definitely seeing Pateas just as much as any other player on the screen at all times, because uh, she was really like, I think, a driving force for this team from the stands too. So yeah, it's been a kind of an interesting game because we didn't really know what to expect. There were many questions about what was going to happen, who was going to come in in Patea's place. And yeah, like, I mean, I think at first we were like, do they need her or, or, or maybe not? But yeah, I think they've managed to sort of convince everyone that they're, you know, they're here to stay and here for, you know, the long run. Obviously, it was quite an emotional game, wasn't it, with with Puteas on the sidelines? I mean, we saw Bon Mati celebrate her goal with with Alexia Puteas and and you know going down in the in the first minute. So, could you tell us about that? You know how they managed to overcome that because that can't be easy. Yeah, I think it's been you know a crazy um, last few days. I think there were 
a lot of expectations around this team and uh, this team and all of the expectations were around Alexia Puteyas and her role with the team. And then, you know, to lose her so close to the debut, it was like, oh my God, what's going to happen now? And I think the players felt that and they were like, there was this pressure to make a statement and to show that they could do it without her and for her. But there was also, you know, when you come in in a debut first game, you know, you you have the, those nerves, they're normal Um Finland was really, really good uh, in that first goal, just finding that space. And I think there was a lot of shakiness. And normally what happens is when Spain has those moments, Alexia has been kind of that calm figure that has pushed everyone forward and they were lacking that. So I think there was a lot of anxiety around that. And there was a lot of, I think the reaction to that goal was a big intention of, you know, we're going to turn this around. We're going to make things right. But there was a lot of kind of very good ideas, a lot of passion and not, not a lot of execution for a, a, a while until, you know, we found that corner, um, that header from Irene. And then, you know, I think when Aitana Bamati scored that goal, it was like, okay, we're here. We're here to stay. This is the kind of game that we want to play. And now we're ready. And so there was that moment of connection with Alexia saying, hey, you know, it's even like passing on that torch to, to Aitana to just lead this attack and be like, hey, you're good enough to be that figure for the team now. Do you think Aitana tactically was the replacement for Putea? So obviously you say she brings that stability emotionally, but obviously her passing game and linking up all the players in the Spanish team is a lot to replace. So what do you think they did tactically to, to replace that? So I think obviously it was a uh, kind of player for player bringing in Irene Guerrero. There was a lot of conversations about whether, you know, Bilda was going to maybe bring Mariona back to play, you know, Alexis role and then maybe put a Mayor at front. But in the end, he just brought in Irene Guerrero, who had already played in that role when um, Alexia was off the pitch in the friendlies before. But I think... Spain really needed that person to look at and to sort of drive them forward. And I think Aitana does play that role, both in the creativity and the attack, but also, you know, in being that person that everyone looks for when they need that that kind of passion and that lead forward. So I think there's both kind of that creativity and that talent that Aitana has, but also, you know, when you're missing a leader, you need someone else to become that leader. And I think that she is doing that quite well. And you could see it in the celebration, like in her face and everything. Three goals from headers. I, d- I think a lot of people were quite surprised from how many goals came from headers and also from set pieces. Were you yourself surprised by that? I was surprised. Like, I mean, there's always a, a question of is Spain able to capitalize on those opportunities? And often it hasn't been the case. So it's a really good news to see that we were able to do that in, in this time round. There were also a lot of set pieces. So I think Finland conceded quite a few corner kicks. I think it was nine before the first goal came in um, from Irene. So yeah, I was surprised to see all the, the goals coming from Heathers, but I think it's a good thing to know that we can score this way too. Because if we combine that with actually being able to break down low blocks like the one that uh, Finland was putting out, it's going to be easier to find kind of different creative opportunities to score, which has been a bit of a struggle for Spain over the last few months, except for that game against Australia. But yeah, very good news to see that we can score from headers now. And also great news to see Mariona there kind of so confident and penalties because having lost Jenny and Alexia, who are both like the the main um, penalty takers for Spain, 
Mariana is going to be very much needed in that role. I think there's there's still questions there around the attack. I think we still need to find more options. I think there was a lot of production around the area that didn't, you know, turn into anything. So we'll see how that uh, evolves against, you know, Germany, who's going to be much more complicated, and uh, Denmark too. Bea Redondo, thank you so much. That was so interesting. We can't wait to catch up with you again as, as Spain um, move through the tournament. Thank you. Thank you. Producer Sophie speaking to Spanish journalist Bea Redondo there. Do you agree, Mia, with the fact that they managed to fill and plug that Pateas gap in the squad? Jonas Edeval was actually a commentator on this game uh, in Sweden and, and he spoke a lot about this. So I actually agreed uh, with what he said because he wasn't that impressed by Spain as a collective. They showed glimpses of the character that Alexia Poteas usually fill. Like I'm, I was very impressed by Mapillon, for example. I thought that she was like some sort of dictator uh, in their passing game. <laughs> she took on that role like Alexia Puteas usually has and they played with their backline high up the pitch. You could see that and that's why they probably conceded that goal as well. And Jonas Edeval, he said what I'm, I'm thinking as well. He said that you could think that winning 4-1 to one versus a team like Finland, because Finland played really good, I think, uh, should be like, oh, yeah, Spain is on a roll. They're going to make it. But I, I haven't got that feeling. The one thing that you get from Alexia Pateas is that individualism, isn't it, that she brings, that she'll do something really unexpected. Whereas the rest of Spain, and I thought it was more evident with her not being there, is that they're so well-versed, well-drilled, they just know where each other's going to be. And, and I just wonder whether there is something positive that you take from that, the fact that you know that you've done it a thousand times in practice, there's a certain style that you play, but then when it comes to mustering something maybe against one of the tougher nations and you've got to try and find and dig something else out, then that player's then missing. So what I'm saying is perhaps this wasn't the game to work out how much you are missing her. No, I think it's too soon to to tell. I, I think we have to see them play like versus Germany. Then we're going to see how much she is missed or not missed. But I think that Spain today, they, they sort of, they had a lot of possession as usual from time to time but then when when you come to the final third something is missing jay one of my criticisms on yesterday's show of northern ireland was that i felt they tried to play too pretty and you've got all these nations that play that pretty football that have got very expensive talent littered throughout the squad and finland went and did what i wanted they challenged spain by playing a bit more ugly and a bit more gutsy and lumping the ball forward asking questions of defenders on quite a few occasions and that's why we got that very early goal as well did you think that was the right approach do you know what i almost feel like scoring a goal that early is probably the worst thing that could have happened to them in a really strange way mm. because it just meant that from Minute one, Spain were just on this mission to to break them down and, and and ruthlessly take them apart. Whereas sometimes, you know, let's say it's nil nil for the first half an hour, and that frustration creeps into Spain a little bit more. I just think that might have might have worked, but you're never going to turn down a goal in the first minute of a game, let alone an, an international tournament. 
But yeah, I think Mia kind of alluded to it. Spain were playing with a really, really high line and Finland definitely got a little bit of luck in the beginning, just trying to hit it long and trying to hit it into the channels. But again, Mia mentioned Mappy Leon. Yes, she was fantastic in possession, but when she needed to do the dirty work, she did the dirty work fantastically as well. There are a couple of times where she kind of covered for her fullbacks and her centre midfielders excellently. And that's kind of the difference when you've got someone who can bail you out like that. Finland can, can huff and puff all they want, but they just couldn't seem to get past her. Have Finland got enough to do anything in this group? Do you see any disruption to that Germany-Spain top two that everyone's been tipping? I mean, not not after what I witnessed at the, the Brentford Community <laughs> Stadium this evening. No, it's going to be tricky. I think the Finland-Denmark game will end up being really, really interesting. It's just quite hard to tell in this group. To kind of go on a little bit of a diversion, I think... Losing 4-0 will really hurt Denmark trying to get out of this group because I can see teams sneaking through on four points in this group. So kind of losing by that bigger goal difference can have like quite a negative impact. Whereas obviously Finland, again, for a Spain team to score from three set pieces and a penalty means that you've you've done the right thing in every other area of the game. Just, you've just been caught out a couple of times, maybe a little bit of bad luck or whatever. So it definitely showed enough team grit to get through. Whereas Denmark, after they went 2-0 down, I mean, they had a player sent off. And I think in the final 10 minutes, there were another three or four yellow cards as well. Their discipline just seemed to kind of go all over the place. And that can kind of tell you quite a lot about a team. Whereas Finland kind of stuck to it until the very end. We're starting to get towards that latter game, aren't we? So we might as well go there. So let's finish off this one. There were no great big cucumbers or banana kicks. Mia's looking at me so confused. Of course you are, Mia. Uh, it's a very entertaining I'm, I'm game. This one. You, you're, you're like, what's she talking about? I don't even know what I'm saying, Mia. There are yet more gems from It's Showtime Football Phrases book. We're loving this. We're lapping it up. All of these phrases from different nations and we don't know what they mean. I have no idea about great big cucumbers or banana cakes. <laughs> In fact, I better, I better quickly move on because my brain's going somewhere else. So now to the second game from the group of death. Don't underestimate Germany. That's what we learned this evening for sure. It ended 4-0 against Denmark at Brentford Community Stadium in London. Thanks to Lena McGull, uh, Leia Schuller, Lena Latvine and Alexandra Pop. To add insult to injury, Denmark's Katrina Kuhl picked up a second yellow, just a very young player in the dying moments to get sent off. We're not used to that. I, I mean, I will start there, Jay, before I come on to Mia and, and um, Alexandra Pop. But we're not used to red cards. You were there. What was your reaction when that happened? I, I wasn't that surprised in the end because I felt like a theme throughout the game is that Denmark just became really, really frustrated at not being able to um, get out of their own half. Uh, there just seemed to be no kind of connection between um, the midfield and the front three. I thought the three for three formation that they lined up with really backfired. And um, yeah, just as the game wore on, you saw it a couple of times with players making you know, a few late challenges. I think Mad Madsen did it at one point in the first half and just that frustration growing and growing. And I think what really... I think what really kind of um, um, killed them, for want of a better phrase, was that they made three attacking substitutes. They brought in Nadia Nadim when they were defending a corner. And I think mm. Germany scored from that corner. So you've gone to make this really proactive change, chase the game, and you've conceded 
Straight within 30 away. seconds and that's such a that's such a punch to the gut and I think that just kind of stayed in their heads afterwards and we touched upon it a minute ago Finland kind of staying in there and, and remaining disciplined and Denmark just started to pick up these really silly fouls they just started to get really indisciplined at the back you know they could have kept it at 2-0 and it would have been a respectable loss but 4-0 just made it a little bit silly and yeah that red card at the end it wasn't a surprise because uh, again they just started making a few unwise challenges at the end shall we say you just hope don't you that someone's going to put their arm around her and just say look you're young this was a bit of a rush of blood to the head but just regroup you don't want it to affect a very young player early on especially a euro tournament like this one alexandra pop in stark contrast for germany mia we've seen her at so many major tournaments so she's a player with germany synonymous for me in the time that i've been watching them and at world cup she has been fantastic at euro competitions it's been something else so she's actually missed the 2013 competition and 2017 because of injury that was her first goal in a Euro on her 115th Germany appearance, which is incredible. And there she was at the end. Yeah, and scoring a typical pop goal. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Like a diving header. Uh, That's her thing. It was her first European Championship game as well. She hasn't played in in a Euro ever before. And that's sort of like sick. It's just crazy, isn't it? When you think of all the major tournaments we've watched. 115 appearances. Yeah. One at a Euros is wild. I think it was her 54th goal for Germany as well. It Um, was, yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, she's a big, big character in that team. Uh, And just, I mean... Their bench, Germany, compared to, to Denmark's, might tell, tell us the story about the game as well. But, I mean, I, I still think that Denmark could have done so much better. But I'm, I'm so curious about how much, uh, how many kilometers uh, the German players ran in this game. Because, I mean, I've rarely seen a team like played with that uh, sort of intensity throughout a whole game they did not stop even though it was quite obvious well I I agree but I do think for much of the first half they were mainly in Denmark's half they it wasn't like they were running the majority of the pit I mean they started no they didn't but they didn't have to run like because they they had the ball all the time and they just Uh, kept pressurizing yeah yeah. And, and and actually it was more about the panic from Denmark players that you could see as as soon as a, a Germany player was going towards them, it was just get rid of it, hoof it anywhere. And Germany were winning every ball. I mean, that was, that was how that, that opening goal came about. And I really felt for the goalkeeper Christiansen. Yeah. And, and I mean, it was kind of typical as well, because the, the player that did that short pass that was uh, not, you know, like cleared by Stine Balisager, uh, that was Signe Brun, and she is their number nine. So she was mm. deep down the pitch. But this is a typical game where you could you could actually discuss whether they rely on Penilla Harder uh, too much. But the thing is that they always know that Penilla Harder is going to be marked by two or three players. And Germany is a team that know that they have to mark Penilla Harder very hard and very consistent. And then the other players in Denmark, they know this. And that means that they have to do their job to, to make her look good. So it's, I mean, it's kind of hard to, 
to criticize that as well because she has a big role in Denmark and she should have uh, that role. But I mean, the other players, they, they were not up to, to the task. It's hard to know, Jay, what to say when you think of Germany's press here and how impressive they were in attack, but also compared to the fact that Denmark didn't change from three at the back. So do we put a bit of blame at the coaches? there should, should something have changed quicker in this 100% I think within the first 15 minutes of the game it's really apparent that Hoof was just having so Hoofing much it. fun <laughs> <laughs> Hoof was having so much fun down that right hand side for um for Germany and yeah. you know I, I, I feel for her that her goal got disallowed because she really deserved one she was she was phenomenal throughout the game but even from set pieces that time and time again either Hoof and McGall were kind of left spare at the back post and I couldn't quite understand it when you're yeah you're 1-0 down at half time you've not played particularly well the three three at the back's not working that is your opportunity to say right maybe let's just switch to a back four let's be composed let's kind of slowly work our way back into the game and try and get something persisting with it has just has led to you losing the game 4-0 so yeah there's definitely a bit of blame at the door of um of the manager for not changing the system Can I just jump in there? Because I do think this is actually a thing like we talk with the Swedish players a lot about, that the Swedish players, they can switch from a back three to a back four or from a back four to a back three. Denmark hasn't played a back four in a long, long time. So doing that in the middle of a game, I, I don't think that's just that easy if you haven't yeah. like played it. So I can actually understand Uh, why they didn't because it for me it was sort of the fact that the midfield didn't work uh, as mm -hmm. well uh, because that area Germany actually completely dominated well they they just started trying to miss out midfield didn't they Denmark in the end it was just try try and forget the the passing it through because it just wasn't working I wanted to mention that Denmark were wearing the black armbands That was for the recent Copenhagen shooting. It was good that they managed to, to show some solidarity for that. Complete contrast as well. I wondered what you made of this, that um, Denmark, Mia, booked out a pub, their FA booked out an entire pub for them to enjoy. We're wondering from an England point of view, we like our pubs. I'm sure Northern Ireland will be on, on the brigade for this as well. Do you think that Other nations should be doing this, booking out pubs, filling it with fans. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's this is so Denmark. This is a Denmark <laughs> thing to do because we in Sweden we go to Denmark to drink beer and you know like just have have fun. And then they are very free in their free minded and and they like to have fun, but always with with beers. I I just laughed uh, so much when I saw that because. You know, yeah, this is Denmark and, and this is uh, their thing to do. We're getting some real insight here into the, the Scandi psyche between Sweden and Denmark and the drinking culture. But come on, I mean, England, we like a pub. Why can't we book some more out? I'm going to put you both on the spot. Who is the best team that we've seen at the Euro so far? It could be one of Germany or Spain. It might be someone else. Mia? Germany. You think Germany have been the best? Why? Yeah. Yeah, because they they played very complete today for me, like from the back to to the front. And actually, the main question for Germany has been the centre back pairing, uh, 
leading up to this tournament. I mean, they they lose versus uh, Serbia. You know, their defending in that game was absolutely horrible. So seeing them today, I think it was like just, okay, we should never count Germany out. How about you then, Jay? Yeah, I was I was going to say Germany as well, just for the control they exercised. So very similar to Mia, just the way they were kind of able to dictate the game from the front to the back looks really impressive throughout. I know we kind of touched on it a little bit, but the way they did limit Penilla Harder, I remember there were the two moments in the game which kind of stood out for me. There was one where Penilla Harder was trying to, to nutmeg someone on the edge of her own box because she just had to drop that deep to get it. And there was another one where she got absolutely clattered by a Germany player. It might even have been Pop and just kind of sprawled out on the floor, kind of thinking, like, what am I supposed to do? So if they can limit, you know, one of the tournaments, one of the world's best players like that, then they can definitely go very far. Well, we are four matches in because we've just had our first double match day, which I'm so excited for. And we've got another tomorrow. So there you go, listeners. Let us know which team as well you think has been the best so far. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euro Edition. Lots of countries want to use this Euros to grow the women's game, but it's really hard to do that when women's teams still struggle to get pitches. Adidas have taken over a pitch in London for women and non-binary people to book during the Euros. We've got Megan Carpadia from Hackney Women's FC here with us. Your club is called Hackney Women's FC, but can't find any pitches in Hackney. Is that right, Megan? Yeah, so yeah, like you said, we're Hackney Women's FC and we currently train in Wood Green. So obviously for people coming from, they, they see our name and they see Hackney, Hackney Women's FC and they expect us to be training in Hackney. And then when, when they hear that we train in Wood Green N22, they kind of like just run for the hills or it's like radio silence. So it affects our recruitment process a little bit because we can't even get that initial step to get people involved in the club because it's just so far and where it is in Wood Green is also really inaccessible in terms of uh, it's like a 10-15 minute walk from the station through a dark park so yeah it's just not unless you drive it's even then there's not a lot of parking so it's not very accessible at all. This is clearly a huge issue for you. It's affecting the way that you're running the club, the team, attracting new members, like you say, that's going to put people off if they can't actually train in the area they think the the team is playing in. So have you identified why you can't get pitch space? Yeah, I think it is, you know, men's bookings being there. And what we have been told is, you know, these men's teams have been here for years. And I always think it's quite funny because, People seem to forget that women couldn't play football for 50 years. So, of course, we're going to be behind. You know, you say these men's teams have been here for years, but we haven't had the opportunity to be there for years even. So, yeah, there's a lot of corporate corporate men's bookings that seem to take the place instead. Well, maybe it's it's time here then for us to bring in Jay, who can give us from that point of view. I mean, have you experienced this the other way, Jay, where it's really easy to get a booking? Yeah, definitely. The, the question I actually wanted to ask, Megan, was that for me, I play football really regularly, probably two, three times a week, and it's literally like the click of my fingers. Mm. So when you kind of encounter what should be the most tiniest step and it turns into a big hurdle, does it make you and your teammates just lose enthusiasm to, to keep running it? I think on one hand, 
yes, because obviously it's it's like you said, it's it should just be such an easy thing and it's such a, a main component of, of running a football team, right? You need somewhere to train. But then on the other hand, I think potentially it motivates us more to be like, we need to do something about this. This is clearly a problem. And it's clearly not just a problem that just we're encountering. So something needs to be done about it. But yeah, it's it's quite, it's definitely exhausting getting the same answer from everybody or no answer from anybody. Mia, did you want to chip in? I, I, I'm just starting to think about this now because I live in, in Linköping in Sweden and Actually, the municipality organization has uh, had a lot of criticism about all sort of sports uh, stadiums. It's the lack of them. But I'm not sure we have that challenge with the girls and boys teams and pitch time. But yeah, since since it's a, a discussion about, you know, just the lack of every sports stadium... Uh, in in my town, I, I think it's it's an interesting topic, and for sure we should start talking about it in Sweden as well. I suppose the question is, what actions can be taken to try and solve it? I mean, apart from speaking to us and trying to get some media attention for it, what else can you do? I think that facilities need policies in place. I've spoken to a few people in local facilities and I've asked what the policies are. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got policies, we've got policies. And they said, oh, okay, so like, can you tell me what your current percentage split is then? And, you know, men's and women's teams that train there. And they said, oh, no, we, we don't really do that. We just sort of see who comes and who wants what. And so I'm like, well, then it's not really a policy, is it? It's, it's not nothing actually set out there. And to me, that just says that you're not intending to do anything either. So I think that would be a good starting point. And we're actually, on that note, we're potentially planning like an open letter to to teams and stuff to write to their local facilities and councils to get some kind of numbers on the board and get down percentages, even if it's just a small percentage to start with, and then that can build and grow. But to me, I think as well, I, I just don't understand, particularly with the hype around the women's zeros, I think at this point, if you're not doing anything to champions women's football, particularly if you are in a footballing space or a footballing brand or whatever it is, then I think you look bad if you're not doing anything right now. And I, so I just don't understand why they wouldn't take this opportunity, whether it's deeply meant or whether it's just a surface thing. I just think either way, right now, everything is good personally that's just my personal opinion mm. so I just don't know why they wouldn't be like oh well for the women's Euros we're going to give half of our pitch space out to women's teams and yes that would just be for the Euros but it's a start like it's something so yeah I just think that that's potentially a way to move forward with the percentages and mm. try and Quotas. get like, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, Megan, we'd love you to keep us updated with how you get on and we'd love to help champion that cause as well wherever we can. So will you please keep in touch? Yeah, definitely. We'll be um we'll be letting all this stuff out soon and showing it all on social media and sending it out to everybody we know. So yeah. 
Thank you for spreading the word. That does help as well. And uh, just to mention the Adidas pitch that they've taken over in London during the Euros. I know that might not particularly help you geographically, but for anyone that can access that, it is literally just a WhatsApp message and that is it. Then their number is on Instagram. So if you want to try and play or book in with friends, take a look at that. That's courtesy of Adidas during this Euros. Thanks very much to Megan there, Megan Carpadia from the Hackney Women's FC. And hopefully we will see change after the Euros as well as during it. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, it's arguably the biggest game of the group stage, Netherlands against Sweden. Mia's nodding her head. She agrees with this one. Uh, We've got one of England's own to give you some local Sheffield tips if you're heading to that one at Bramall Lane. I'm Ellie Roebuck. Best place to get coffee in Sheffield? Tampa Sellers Wheel would be my favourite in the city centre. Best bar? You don't go out, do you? No. (laughs) That's what Leah said. Was it Leah? No, okay. Wrong person. Wrong person. <laughs> um, probably somewhere in Kelham Island. Um, it's quite nice. Best restaurant? Domo, Kelham Island. A must-see in Sheffield. Bramalene. Things that you just pass by, not worth seeing. Hillsborough. Hillsborough. <laughs> like, Sheffield City Centre is not great. Meadowall's not great. Get to Bramalene, that's it. Typical dish? Good old Sunday roast or something like that, or a chip boy. And best football team? Chef United. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ellie. (laughs) That was England goalkeeper Ellie Roebuck on her hometown, Sheffield. Mia, as you're Swedish, I think we should let you kick us off with this Netherlands-Sweden match. What do you think about Sweden's chances? I'm very positive about Sweden, Sweden's uh, chances. I'm going to be very un-Swedish now because we never <laughs> think <laughs> and look at ourselves uh, as favourites. But I do think that this time around, why shouldn't we? Like, come on, we have a great team. They've played together for many years. Yeah, we're going to win this. Ooh, I can feel fight it. Fighting tall. Yeah, I'm going to... I might, I might feel tomorrow as about the Denmark, <laughs> the Denmark performance afterward, but I, I actually do believe that this is it. This is our time. <laughs> We're going to have some key battles out there as well. We're going to have Miedemar versus Black Stenius, uh, teammates at Arsenal. We saw a bit of that as well with Beth Mead, didn't we? And um, Zinsberger on the opening game. And they had that little tete-a-tete at the end. So do you expect that to be a little bit fiery? Yeah, I, I hope that Black Stenius uh, will play because he actually told uh, in the pre-presser today, Peter Jaradson, that... No, I don't think she will start. But oh. yeah, I, I hope she will come on. And I mean, it's always like, you know, the main thing. I think that, you know, the fight between Magdalena Eriksson and Viviane Miedema is also kind of tasty when you think about it. Yes. So. Well, actually, and that because they'll be facing up against each other. So yeah, yeah. It, it's like that. But obviously, that that's the main thing because Black Stenius and Miedema will have the same role for their own. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be competing for goal numbers and maybe competing for the golden boot. Who knows? I'd, I'd tip Black Stenius for the golden boot, an old thigh injury that's resurfaced, apparently. Out of these two, Jay, who do you favour? Because you have no bias here. 
To be honest, I'm I'm more familiar with with some of the Netherlands players than some of the Swedish players, and I know they got hammered by England a couple of weeks ago. But up until half time, when they I know they made a few substitutions, they did look really impressive. So I still think they're a really good side. So I'd probably tip my hat towards them, just because apart from Miedema, they've got players like you know Jill Rod and Martins and Van der Donk. But yeah, Mia, don't hate me for for saying that. I think I'm getting a nod of approval, so I think I got away with it. Oh, Anne-Marie Postma in the preview told us that <laughs> told us that the that Netherlands are very good at tournaments, so she expects them to go deep into the competition. But she also recognises that there isn't the balance there in the team that there used to be. So yeah, I think there's a few question marks that a lot of us can't wait to to get answered when we see this one. Mark Parsons told today uh, that uh, Dominic Janssen was her fitness is is a question for them, and and she is I mean their main starting centre back. So if she doesn't start, I think that will will be like in advantage uh, for Sweden as well. So is this more mind games though, Mia? We don't know. We don't know that. <laughs> but if we think that until kickoff or the lineup. Uh, comes out then I will feel better about the game we will also know by the end whether to mistrust or to completely trust these managers going forward in the earlier game on Saturday Portugal take on Switzerland producer Sophie caught up with the athletics Jack Lang uh, to see how Portugal's last minute call up and preparations have gone So I've got the Athletics Jack Lang with me. Jack's been speaking to the Portugal camp ahead of their Euros campaign. Jack, what what have you been hearing from them? Because obviously they only found out a last minute that they were they were going to be in the Euros. Yeah, so Portugal's preparations were fairly unusual in that they they originally didn't qualify for the tournament, kind of edged out of their group by Finland, and then lost a playoff to Russia, and then geopolitics really gave them a second chance. So when Russia invaded the Ukraine. Obviously, a lot of dominoes started to fall. Um, Champions League final, men's final taken away from St. Petersburg. Russia expelled from all kinds of competitions. And eventually, after a lot of speculation, were expelled from the Euros as well. Portugal called up in their place. So I really wanted to find out from the coach, Francisco Neto, and and the captain, Dolores Silva, uh, just what it was like to kind of have such a shortened period in which to prepare really. Dolores actually, she said for the players, is actually not that different at all. In that, you know, they, they they had those few months of real disappointment when they thought they they weren't going to be at the tournament. She said she she couldn't even bring herself to watch the draw. She was so disappointed. She was like, oh you know, she really thought that place that went to Russia should have been Portugal's. So she said it was more of a mental thing for them. And once they found that, once it was confirmed, it hasn't been so different. They've kind of just finished their club season and prepared much as they did for the last Euros in 2017. For the coach, obviously, Francisco Neto, things were a little bit more difficult because, you know, he had a whole uh, whole load of kind of pragmatic and organisational things to put in place. Um, in about nine weeks, they've had what, eight and a half, nine weeks between UEFA's announcement and their first game. Obviously, there's a lot to do in that time and they found themselves a little bit behind. So just chatted to him about kind of what that involved really and certain things were maybe easier than expected. Certain things were a bit more difficult, like um, he mentioned booking friendlies at the last minute. So all of the big nations had kind of been booked up months in advance. So they, <laughs> You wouldn't think of that, would them- you? 
Yeah, so they, they they booked in, you know, thinking they weren't going to the Euros. They booked in back-to-back friendlies with Greece. And he was kind of aiming to use them to play a few young players, refresh the squad a bit. And then, oh, suddenly realised they're going to the Euros and they've still got back-to-back fixtures with Greece. So that, that probably wasn't the ideal preparation. And they had to kind of scrabble around to, to mark a last-minute friendly with Australia. And then he said just basically they just had to be really flexible and accept that, you know, all of the tiny little details in terms of not necessarily the footballing side, but the background side, like marketing and photo shoots, all that would have to be done at the last minute when they got to England. So, yeah, there was a, certainly got the impression from him that there was a lot to do in a short space of time. But from the way he spoke, he's done it all with a smile and they, they seem in pretty good spirits, I would say. What do you think that means then for their chances in the tournament? Because obviously, you know, having to put things together last minute can't be easy. And and they didn't make it through the first time, so it was going to be difficult anyway. So kind of how are they approaching it in that respect in terms of expectations of match outcomes? Yeah, I think their expectations are fairly modest. It's only their second major tournament. They, they did okay in 2017, probably a little bit better than expected, kind of run England close that year but didn't make it to the world cup and they are i think the, the second lowest ranked team at the euros in a tough group as well with you know sweden and the netherlands so i don't think they're really you know eyeing up a, I, I did mention the example of the danish men's team in 1992 kind of qualifying through the back door and then winning it and they were pretty uh, pretty certain that they they didn't expect to quite follow that example but in terms of you know how they're feeling having been called up late. I don't think there's going to be an inferiority complex there because they did pretty well in qualifying. They, I think they were, they were pretty pleased with how they went very tight at the back. They conceded only twice, twice in the group stages and the playoffs, so twice in 10 games. So I think that will be their kind of modus operandi, keeping things tight and maybe trying to nick a goal. I'm sure they'd be happy to just improve on their points tally from last time or you know even get a win, get a win and a draw, something like that, uh, even if it didn't mean, you know, eventual glory. But I think the surprise factor, not necessarily against them, actually, because obviously, although they've had a shortened time to prepare, they've seemed to have surfed the momentum, really. And they may hope that the other teams in the group might not be as as prepared for them as they otherwise would have been, because presumably they're all scouting Russia. Jack Lang, that was great. Thank you so much for catching up with us on on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. We hope you enjoy the game. You too. Thanks a lot. That was producer Sophie speaking to the Athletic's Jack Lang. His Portugal piece is out on the Athletic now. Anything from either of you to add to this match? It feels like it's the second billing. When you've got uh, that big game between Sweden and the Netherlands, you feel like this one take second fiddle doesn't it Portugal Switzerland I mean the the team that is going to win that game they can end up as number two in the group for a while so I think it's a big game for them I mean if Sweden and the Netherlands draw uh, it's number one for a while for a while I'm I'm see I'm cocky about Sweden now I feel that (laughs) (laughs) You've also be... conceded, though, that you you maybe accept a draw. Yeah, I don't accept that. I, okay, <laughs> no, okay. I'm not <laughs> accepting anything uh, than a win. I want to see Sweden like play like versus uh, the US in the Olympics, the first game. 
Mm. So, but I mean, it's the, I, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch between Portugal and Switch, Switzerland because I think it's, I mean, and we're going to see Lia Velti. Just yes. that is worth a mention. Very much worth a mention. Go on, Jay. I was just going to say, that's all I was going to say is that sometimes in the beginning of tournaments, when you, you know, you get a group of death or you get two teams that who are kind of really fancied up against each other, it's so tense that they're not necessarily that enjoyable because they're so focused on not losing that, you know, maybe that, well, we know Mia's not happy with just the point, but maybe, maybe inside the camps, they'd, they'd happily take a point. And sometimes those Portugal Switzerland games where, you know, less people are paying attention to it actually end up being some of the most memorable matches of a tournament because one, they throw up players that nobody's heard of before or are less familiar with. And two, the narrative can kind of go any which way we kind of want it mm. to be. So I actually think don't don't underestimate that game. It's obviously going to be a nil-nil now. So No, 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 because I'm with you. I think there's going to be an absolute screamer scored in Portugal, Switzerland. I'm with you, Jay. I think probably the goal so far is going to be scored in that match. We've made some big predictions so far. We've got a goal of the tournament coming tomorrow. That's, I didn't I didn't say that. I just <laughs> well, think goal so contender, far. Contender. Or a Fridolina Rolf uh, brace from like... <laughs> <laughs> well, we will soon find out. I'm going to let you get to your bed so that you're feeling all fresh for this one tomorrow, Mia. Uh, that's all we have time for on today's Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros edition. Uh, thank you to both Mia and Jay. Goodbye, good night. Go and get some nice sleep. Thank you very much. I'm off to um, Borehamwood v Brentford tomorrow. So uh, a real, real difference in... a international level that train keeps on moving for you jay yeah. thank you as well to producer sophie and above all thanks to you the listener for tuning in again uh, don't forget to follow subscribe to our channel keep telling friends and family about it too how do you say goodbye in swedish mia hey door there you are i'm not going to try and attempt it see you tomorrow <laughs>